Amen. Thank you, Jerry. Those are some wonderful songs for us to sing. Uh, Paul referred to the heaven that we've sung about tonight as the third heaven. So the first heaven is the atmosphere, the sky. Second heaven is the stars and the universe. And then the third heaven uh, is that spiritual place in the spiritual realm. And so we're going to bring our focus down from, for just a little while, down from the third heaven to that second heaven. Uh, who in here was raised in East Texas, born and raised in East Texas? All right, mostly East Texas folks here tonight. Uh, of you East Texas folk, uh, do you remember the first time you saw the night sky without trees? Do you remember that? Um, I didn't know any different growing up. Uh, and I guess it's human nature, the way things go. I spent my whole growing up life just wishing so badly I lived in a place with trees. And now it seems like all I do is complain about all the trees around here, uh, whether it's pollen or I can't see or whatever the case might be. But if you've been somewhere without trees, like uh, West Texas, so this is far West Texas, kind of toward the Big Bend area. If you've seen the night sky without trees, it's incredible, uh, especially if it's in a place with a lot of darkness. Uh, maybe up in the, the mountains of Colorado where this picture was taken. Uh, you get up on the mountains, you get up close to the timber line, and you see these stars so clearly it looks like you can just reach out and pinch them and bring them back to you. Uh, I remember when I was in college, uh, I went off on a big cruise ship uh, with a group of Christians, uh, and I went down to one of the very front decks I forget what that's called on a ship. I, I'm not spent a lot of time on ships growing up in West Texas. And I remember going up to the very front. All the lights were off. It was like midnight. I had just eaten some pizza, made you know bad decision there. And I laid down because my stomach was hurting, and I just looked up at the stars. And I remember looking off in every direction. Have you ever been on a boat like that and seen the stars uh, and seeing them reflecting off the water. That was what was incredible to me. In every direction, right? You can see the stars when you look down. You see the stars when you look up. But even here in East Texas, and I've grown to appreciate this more since uh, I got a telescope over the summer, and when you have the trees, there is something good about those trees. If you can get the right window with that telescope to look at what you want to look at, the trees kind of block all of the surrounding light so that you can see it a little more clearly. But without a telescope, even with all the trees, when we look up at the night sky here in East Texas, that is enough for us to see the majesty and the grandeur of God. I want you to turn in your Bible, if you would, to Psalm 8. Um, I realized a number of weeks ago that this is, this is one of my favorite psalms. I didn't realize that. What I realized was that I have never preached a lesson out of Psalm 8. So that's what we're going to do this evening. Psalm 8, what is man that you are mindful of him, is the quote from David that we think of so often when it comes to this psalm. So I want to change that reality tonight. I want to preach from this psalm, and hopefully it's something that can be very encouraging to you uh, as you go through your Christian walk this week and be reminded of God and his mindfulness of us. So let's read this psalm together to begin with. So this is Psalm 8, to the chief musician on the instrument of Gath, a psalm of David. And so David says, as he was inspired by the Holy Spirit, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength, 
because of your enemies, that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the birds, beasts of the field and the birds of the air and the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. We begin there in verses 1 and 2. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants you have ordained strength because of your enemies that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. Verse 1 in the beginning part of verse 2 in really many ways is a microcosm of this whole psalm. God's glory is above the heavens And the verse reminds us of, or it should remind us, of the seraphim in in Isaiah chapter 6 and Revelation chapter 4 who cry out in the presence of God, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. In fact, this verse, who have set your glory above the heavens, that, that can be translated whose glory is chanted above the heavens whose glory is chanted above the heavens, and that makes that connection even stronger, doesn't it? We see that's exactly what these angelic creatures were doing in the presence of God. They were chanting, they were crying out His glory, even above the heavens in the third heaven, in the presence of God Himself, they were crying out for these things. Am I doing that? I'm not trying to do that. I'm going to put that down. But you're, uh, you're interested in what's coming next, aren't you? But this glorious cry, this glorious cry above the heavens is echoed in verse 2 out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants. Out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants. Uh, babes and nursing infants, those are the smallest and the weakest and the most vulnerable among us. But they're also the most innocent of all human beings, aren't they? And God's faithful creatures cry out while his enemies are silenced. And that is the truth of all of these things, that God's enemies will be silenced, even sin and death and Satan. All right, so this desperately wants to go to what we're going to see next. Uh, We look at the stars and we should be filled with wonder. During the Apollo 11 mission, and that was the mission with the first moon landing, Buzz Aldrin quoted from John 15 before exiting the lunar lander, and then he read from Psalm 8 upon re-entering it. He read from the old King James, which said, When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? Apollo 11 also carried with it a a silicon disk, and it left messages from 73 nations on the moon. And the message from the Vatican was the text of Psalm 8. And a visit to space reminded these people how big God is and how small we are. 
And in sermons before, I've talked about the size of the universe and the size of objects in the universe. But I think in some ways it's even more impressive the distance between the objects that are in our universe. As best we can measure, the speed of light is about 186,000 miles per second. And so if we think about how fast the speed of life speed of light is. If you were traveling at the speed of light, now we can actually see this. We think about the earth and how large the earth is on the equator, all 40,000 or so kilometers at the equator. If you were traveling at the speed of light, you could circle the earth at the equator. Now it doesn't want to play. Good grief. This shows you how fast the speed of light is, okay? Seven and a half times per second. Eric, can you help me? All right, so that's what that looks like. Now, to reach the moon, which is 384,000 kilometers away, you can reach the moon in 1.28 seconds. That's how fast at the speed of light. Okay, then if you were going to go and reach the sun, which is 147,450,000 kilometers away, it would take approximately 8 minutes and 20 seconds to reach our sun, traveling at the speed of light. So, around the earth, to the moon and back, and then 8 minutes and 20 seconds to the sun. If you started at our sun, traveling at the speed of light, it would take five and a half hours to reach Pluto near the edge of our solar system. Five and a half hours. To reach the next star, Alpha Centauri, it would take over four years, 4.35 years traveling at the speed of light. It would take over a thousand years to reach the end of our Milky Way galaxy. And God calls this great universe that is before us he calls this great universe the work of his fingers. Um, that implies what? It implies that this is really small to him, right? The work of his fingers. Stephanie brings me these tangled up necklaces sometimes. She's, you know, she's put them in a, a little bag and we've gone on a trip and we come back and she just kind of puts them on like the end table beside our bed and it's just like this pile of tangled things. And so I have to get my fingers, right, or maybe even some tweezers and try and get these necklaces untangled with one another. Uh, maybe another image that we can think about, um, who in here likes jigsaw puzzles, jigsaw puzzles? Uh, think about the universe as God's jigsaw puzzle. Of course, he spoke it into existence, but it's the work of his fingers. That's the image, that this is something that God is just putting together that's tiny to him, that is small to him. Later in the psalm, it talks about the earth being the work of his hands. And so we think about uh, building something with your own hands, like a clay pot or something along those lines. This is how small things are to God when we think about the universe and things that he has created. And yet, if we read in beginning in verse 3, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you visit him or care for him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. So here's the progression that we see in this psalm. The heavens are small compared to God. 
They're the work of his fingers. Isaiah says he can measure them with the span, the size of his hand, right? And yet we are small compared to the heavens. We've been rightly described as specks of dust on a speck of dust, right? That's what we are when you think about the universe. Um, ancient, ancient astronomers estimated that there were 10,000 stars in the sky, uh, what, what we actually see now is if we got a giant straw and look through it, I've told you this before, a giant straw, eight feet long, I believe, and you look through it, and everything that you could see in that giant pinpoint of a straw, there are over 10,000 galaxies that would actually be contained in that. So way more, way bigger than what we expected. And so we're tiny compared to the heavens. And yet what this verse tells us is, what this psalm tells us is, is that God has exalted us to a position of great importance and honor despite how small we are compared to him and small compared we are compared to his creation. God has made us big, is another way of putting it. Big in his sight, big in his estimation. And we think about, um, we think about those times when we're down, when we feel insignificant. We are not insignificant to God. We are not in, unimportant to God. Instead, he has crowned us, the text says. Well, who, who gets a crown? Royalty gets a crown. He has made us kings. He has made us kings and queens over his creation. He has crowned us with glory and honor. And I really like the English Standard Version's translation of verse 4. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? It's not just that God has given us some important position. It is because he cares about us. Uh, We're going to go off the rails for just a second, if you don't mind. I was asked a few weeks ago by a believer, I was asked about aliens. What do you think about aliens? Do you think there are aliens out there? And whether they could exist or not, my answer was, I don't know. I know that there are many other intelligent beings in the spiritual realm. We know that there are other beings, angels and archangels and demons and cherubim and seraphim. Even the devil himself is another being in the spiritual realm. But whether or not there are intelligent beings in the physical universe, that's just something that the Bible is silent about. So we don't know one way or another. But what I do know is that human beings have been given a special place by God, a very special place. This text says, and this is borne out in the Septuagint, that that he has made us a little lower than the angels. And that's true. But it's interesting to me, if you look in a passage like 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 3, there's a sense in which we are greater than the angels. We're going to judge angels. The actual word that is used for angels here is the word Elohim, Elohim. And that's a generic term for what? For God, for God. It is also sometimes used in the Bible of heavenly beings of all different kinds, but I think it possible, even likely, that it's talking about God himself here. There is a sense in which we are greater than the angels, and we are only a little lower than God himself. And we shouldn't take some great pride in that. It's because God created us that way in his image for this exalted position. Uh, Haley says of this passage, Man's puny weakness is seen when he is compared with the universe. But his greatness is manifested when he's compared with God, when one considers God's concern for him. We're puny. And that's the perspective from a physical perspective. But from God's perspective, he has made us 
great because he has great concern for us. So what's the position into which he has put us? Keep reading in verse 6. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. Again, that's the idea of a king or a queen, right? That there's dominion here. All sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the sea. This whole exchange of looking at God's creation with the stars and then turning to the physical world and seeing the physical things that God has made, it reminds me of a few other biblical passages. It reminds me of the progression that we see in the book of Job when God speaks to Job and he says, you answer me like a man. Can you number the stars? Can you put everything in its proper place? Can you make the sun do what it's supposed to do? And then he turns to the created realm and he says, can you make the... Uh, can you make the goats do what they're supposed to do? The ostrich, this dumb animal, can you make it survive? And he goes through all of these things with the dominion that God has over his created world. But the interesting thing is that this passage says that, that we've been given dominion over all of those things. And maybe it's in the same sense as what James says in the New Testament, that, that all things can be tamed by man. We have dominion and power over everything else in the created world. Or maybe we think back to the creation itself. After God gives all of these things, after God creates all of these things, He gives it to man and He says, you have dominion. You have some authority over the rest of this world. And so yes, we as human beings have this kind of authority and dominion over God's creation. And maybe even more, it reminds us somewhat of Christ. Uh, these three steps that we see here with our dominion at the end. We think about Christ who was in this exalted place and yet he descended to earth. He descended uh, into the deep. He descended into Hades. And then he ascended again uh, back into the heavenly realm. And God too has descended and descended to get to us from the third heaven we see him in the second heaven to get to us uh, here in earth. But then he raises us as human beings to an exalted position. How are we doing with that? God has given us all this dominion and authority, crowned us with glory and honor. How are we doing with that? Well, frankly, we, we haven't done very well. <laughs> we haven't done very well with the dominion God has given us. We often destroy. We often misuse. Uh, I was reading... I was reading Alice in Wonderland, an annotated version. And, of course, there's a dodo in that book if you've never read it before. And one of the little um, quotes was, was from a scientist who said, The dodo never had a chance. He seems to have been invented for the sole purpose of becoming extinct, as if that was all he was ever good for. And you, you, you examine that animal, and it seems as though that's the case. I mean, how in the world could this animal survive? Well, that animal did just fine until what? Until we as human beings came and had dominion over it, and then it was extinct like that, right? And we don't always do great with that dominion. But even more beyond this physical realm and any environmental concerns, we misuse and use one another as human beings when we have dominion over one another. And it makes me glad that this dominion that's being discussed here of man isn't just talking about us as human beings and our dominion over the creation. We've read all but the last verse, verse 9. Psalm 8 begins and ends with the same phrase of praise to God. 
O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. That's called an inclusio, and we've studied that concept before, that it's a bookend, right? We see a section, in this case it's an entire psalm, and it begins with a phrase and it ends with the same phrase. That means everything else that we see inside those bookends, inside that inclusio is what? It is speaking to what that phrase says. So if you want to know what this psalm is about, it's about this. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Now when we think about this psalm, we usually make it about this. What is man that you are mindful of him? But like so many things in scripture, upon closer inspection, this psalm is more about God than it is about man. We always want to make things about ourselves, don't we? And so that verse jumps out at us. Oh, we have glory and honor. Um, God is mindful of us, and that's good. But ultimately, this psalm is really directed, as all psalms of praise, at God. It refers to all mankind or humankind. But when we get right down to it, this psalm, even those verses about being made a little lower than the angels, crowned with glory and honor, they find their ultimate fulfillment in one man who is also God. Tommy Peeler says um, of this psalm, The question, what is man, is expanded in the New Testament as having implications that are so profound they can only be answered in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Only the death and resurrection of Christ are big enough to satisfy this psalm. It is a psalm that's intended to stretch our minds, to make God bigger. And we need to stretch our minds also about God as he was manifested in the flesh. And so we see this psalm quoted multiple times in our New Testament. And what I'd like to do here at the end of the lesson is look at these quotations. So turn first to Matthew chapter 21. Here Psalm 8 and verse 2 is quoted by Jesus to speak of how the children are praising him in the temple. Matthew chapter 21 and verse 14 beginning. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant and said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read? Out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants, you have perfected praise. When is our praise most perfect? When is our praise most complete? It is when we have the innocence to see God for who he really is. The scribes and the Pharisees, with all of their learning, with all they knew of God... They could not praise him the way these children did because these children had sense enough to see the lame and the blind and those who are sick are coming to this man and he's healing them. And so we should praise God for that. And the scribes are over here saying, oh, they can't say that, we shouldn't do that, all those sorts of things. Maybe we need to have innocence enough in our modern world where we know so much and we think we can number the stars and, oh, 10,000 stars, that's none at all. What are we talking about? And we can talk about how far apart these things are even though we don't really know how fast the speed of light is. 
We think we know so much, but maybe we need innocence enough to have our praise perfected where we look at the stars and we say, God must be awfully big. What is man that you are mindful of him and yet you care for us? This psalm finds its completion in Jesus. It finds its completion here. But that's not all. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 1. Psalm 8 and verse 6 is applied to Jesus in two places. Ephesians 1 and 1 Corinthians 15. Let's read those two passages together. First, we'll turn to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 19. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 19. Uh, In this section that is a prayer by Paul that we might see what God has done for us. The third thing that he wishes us to see is this. What is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he worked in Christ? So what is the greatest manifestation of the power of God? Is it the universe that he's created? Or is it when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places? Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is is to come. And he has put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This one who fills all in all, who created all things, the greatest manifestation of his power is not in the stars, but it's in Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for us. That he came and lived as a man, that he died, was buried, and was raised. And then we turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, in a chapter that discusses the resurrection. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, Let's start in verse 23. I think I've got 25 up there. Let's start in 23. But each one in his own order, Christ the firstfruits of resurrection, afterward those who are Christ's at his coming, when all will be raised. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and all power. All other dominion, all other power and authority is brought to an end in Christ. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. And the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. For, quote, he has put all things under his feet. But when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who put all things under him is expected. Now when all things are made subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him, that God may be all in all. Does that sound familiar? That's just what we read back there in Ephesians, right? So this one who is all in all, we find again the greatest manifestation of his power is in Christ. And Christ is going to return this kingdom, the church over which he is head, he's going to return it back to to God the Father. And we will find ourselves not thinking about the first heaven or the second heaven, but that third heaven about which we sang. And we will see God and see the full glory of his power there. And then finally, the most extensive quotation is in Hebrews chapter 2, and verses 4 through 6 are all quoted together. Hebrews chapter 2. Let's begin reading in verse 5. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 5. 
in speaking of the superiority of Christ to, well, everything else, specifically to angels, here's what the Hebrew writer says. For he has not put the world to come, of which we speak, in subjection to angels. Angels don't have any authority in the sense of reigning, uh, being kings over the spiritual realm. But one testified in a certain place, Psalm 8, saying, What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you take care of him? You have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor and have set over the works and have set him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he, God, put all, put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we do not yet see all things put under him. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. He applies this to Jesus' death and his resurrection and ultimate ascension. And so when we reach the end of this lesson, perhaps the better question to ask of this psalm, uh, not that I'm a better psalm writer than David, but maybe the better question to ask is not, what is man that you are mindful of him? Maybe the question we should ask is, what is God that you are not mindful of him? How can you ignore a God this big and this great. Great in glory, in majesty, in size, in power. And that glory is evidenced. His excellence is evidenced in all sorts of things. It is evidenced in His creation in the universe. It's evidenced in His creation in this world. It is evidenced in us, His created children, whom He has exalted. But most of all, it is evidenced in Christ Himself and what He has done for us in His death and His burial and His resurrection. And if we can see those things and see God's care for us despite His greatness, how can we do anything but serve Him in gratitude and in praise for what He has done? And so here's my admonition. Um, I, I meant to check the Weather Channel. I haven't done that. I don't know if it's going to be clear tonight. Hopefully it is. If not, do it another night. I want you to look up tonight. And I want you to look at those stars in the sky. And I want you to thank God in prayer that he was mindful enough of us, that he cared for us enough, that he sent his son Jesus to die for us. He raised him from the dead so that the enemies of us and God, sin and death and Satan, could be defeated and silenced. And he exalted him back to his right hand so that we might have the hope to go and be with him in the heavenly places someday. And if you're here this evening and you know that God cares for you enough to do that and you know that you've not done what you need to do in order to make your life right with Christ, we have that opportunity before you even this evening to come and put Christ on in baptism. Won't you do so now while together we stand and while we sing? Lift your keys up so